Well, well, well. Hello. Chandler, are you or are you not hosting Mother and Father right now in the great city of San Francisco? I Luckily, I am not hosting them. The Fairmont Hotel is hosting them. Okay. But I am by proxy hosting them in this big old city, big old liberal city, as dad would call it. Is the Fairmont Hotel nice? Yeah, it's really nice. It's like Oh, it is. It was the spot. Oh, wow. It is nice. It's really nice. Yeah. Well, I was just, okay, so when we were kids, mom and dad always stayed at um, Marriott Residence Inns, Mm -hmm. a a classic Hampton Inn. It was always like a budget. Like a courtyard suite, spring-filled in whatever, something that sounds cheap. Totally. But it's starting to sound nice. Totally. I mean, I have a few standalone memories of going to like fabulous resorts as kids. One time went to Hawaii and stayed somewhere really nice, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they're really few and far between. I took... I totally understand the motivation to not spend a bunch of money on a resort when you have five kids that are ruining your experience anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I Uh, would never. Like, my kids will be in, like, tents outside the nice hotel. I actually think I just will never. I will, Chandler, I will never take my kids traveling with me. It doesn't make any sense. I don't. Why? I just feel like. They don't need to see the world. They're six. They don't care no. about the history and they're ruining my experience. I'd rather pay to leave them with someone and actually go relax. That's my hypothesis. I could not agree more. I mean, we went to like Israel and the Middle East and then parts of Europe when we were pretty young. And honestly, I have zero memory of it. Like I, it's all hazy. And sorry, exactly. Just, like they won't total even waste remember. Of yeah. See, they that- won't remember. See, that's my theory. I think anything post maybe 14 or 15, then these are like fully fledged humans who are making a memory and an experience. But before that, like, I think that the only vacations I would do with my kids are the classic trips mom and dad took us to on like to Palm Springs. Like go somewhere tropical, but do not go to Europe. Do not go to ruins because it will be lost on your children. Any history or greater context of the world that we live in and like your part in it and how meaningful it is to see other cultures like it's all right. going to be lost it's all going to go completely over their head all they're going to be doing is like complaining about why the ketchup tastes different in like other countries totally i think that the only trip i would ever take my kids on is like an extremely restful trip where they can just play by the pool all day just exactly. like mom and dad took us at palm, to during palm springs mm-hmm. like should we give a little shout out to those memories yeah. And sorry, I totally interrupted you. What were you going to say? No, this is a great, this is a fun like little tangent. I, yeah, those memories are ones that I cherish. We, our mom would pack us up in the car, right? Like literally the day that school got out. So right as school got out, we'd get in the car and we'd drive to Palm Springs and we'd go there for two and a half weeks every summer. It was this big tradition where literally the day school was out, my our mom would pick us up in the car, the, everything would already be packed and we would drive straight to Palm Springs. So, it, it's so funny now all these memories are coming back to me, but like the best part about, I feel, or one of the great things about our mom is that she actually truly loved us being home. Mm-hmm. She wasn't like one of these moms that's like dying for their kids to be back in school, or at least she never let on that she was. Like she was right. always like, stay home. Don't go to school today. She would like, be like, do you want to play sick today? And I would be like, I'd be like, no, I actually really want to go to school. Please stop pestering me about this. Can we totally. drop it? Can we like, drop me staying home? We ha- always had one big obstacle as kids to not going to school, which was our father, because our mother was like, t- like 
taunting us always with the prospect of staying home. <laughs> I remember one time I played a little sick to stay home in like maybe the fifth grade, but I wasn't that convincing. And mom, of course, was like, oh, you're feeling a little queasy? No school today. And my dad, it was the morning. And so I was like, great, no school. I'm going to make a great breakfast. So I made like homemade waffles with strawberries and whipped cream and all this stuff. And I remember we were sitting at the breakfast table and I'm just like, I'm like eating like probably my third waffle, my third huge waffle. And my dad looks at me and he says, she doesn't seem sick. To the healthy American child, like on her on her third helping of waffles, like no sickly, you know, no sickly, right, no like typhoidy feverish, like yeah, child vibes in sight. No typhoid vibes in sight. No, I I I have very vivid memories of mom, like half like laying on my bed as I'm like waking up, being like, please, please, please stay home, please stay home. What do you have to do anyways? Totally. What could you be learning there? That's so important. I I remember, and then when we would get to Palm Springs, we always stayed in the same room every year, mm-hmm. and it was right by the pool. It was like twenty feet from the pool, right? And we would just lay up at the pool and swim and order food by the pool for two weeks straight. It was so fun. Like, there's a certain type of feeling when you are super sunburned or like crisp and tan, mm-hmm. and then you are extremely bloated from like rounds and rounds of chicken fingers yeah and then as you just traipse through a hotel like in that feeling like I just there's nothing better the things I truly missed and miss and the thing I'm maybe hoping to regain one day is the it's like I was in my own garden of Eden and in so much that like I was completely unaware or did not even consider how my body looked in a bathing suit and I would eat as much as I possibly wanted Mm -hmm. and I would float around. I would laze around (laughs) in the sun. I wasn't thinking for a second about sun exposure, anything. Like all I wanted to do was get warmth on my skin and feel like the 20th chicken finger go down my throat with dipped in ranch. Down the gullet. And the best part is that our mom would let us order as many virgin like cocktails as we wanted. (laughs) Totally. I think one of my first full sentences was like, can I get a virgin pina colada? (laughs) Absolutely. Mom was like, mom honestly was so fun in that way. And I never even considered, oh, these are $20 each. It was just like, I'll take another. (laughs) Another, please. I'll take another, Peter. Thank you. Oh my gosh, that like makes me a little bit sad because I'm like, am I naturally that type of mom? I don't know that I am. And I I need to work to be that type of mom who's just, yeah, get another pool drink. Why not? They're going to turn out just fine. <laughs> totally. Mom was just, she. we were her besties and she truly just wanted to have a good time. She just wanted to have a party. And I now look back at that and I'm like, wow, that must have been so much work. And we were probably bratty many times and she still like remained steadfast in taking us on the, on those vacations. Totally. You know what's funny? The only time we would like venture out of the hotel was to go to the Cabazon outlets, if anyone's oh, familiar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how many hours do you think we spent in the Polo Ralph Lauren store? Well, it takes two hours to get to Palm Springs, yeah. but I can tell you that it we made it an eight hour journey because <laughs> our mom would, we would, she would, I had no clue Palm Springs was so close because to me it was always at least six hours to get totally. there at least. Yeah. And we would stop at the outlets and shop for three or four hours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We would stop at A&W Root Beer. Yep. And get like Rupert floats and chicken fingers. It was so fun. And I, oh my gosh, I'm like so nostalgic right now, but it just, 
So one of the other really fun things that mom would do is that she would, we would leave during the summer, right? And we'd go to Mm -hmm. Palm Springs and we would buy clothes for the next school year while we were shopping at the outlets. And then the agreement was we could each spend, I don't know, $200 or something, which actually goes pretty far when you're eight. But right. um, and when you're just buying, like literally, I just remember we could only get classic polos, like to- in every color. Like I had a, a polo <laughs> crop or not a crop. I had a polo. What what, what do you even call it? Like, I had a polo shirt with a collar on it, or a V neck, or some variation of just a classic polo Ralph Lauren tee in every color. Mom, like mom, loved the preppy look on us so much. Yeah. That if we anything we wanted at the polo outlet, it was like, oh, mm-hmm. we can't afford not to get this. Exactly. And I just always remember like feeling like whenever I put that crap on, I just always remember feeling so rich. Like suddenly I'd be with dad and be like, should I dress him as father? Because that's the caliber of wealth I feel like I'm in today. Even though they were like at the polo outlet where it was like 40% off, additional 70% off. (laughs) Totally. If you bring the coupon, it's an additional 30. Right. I just remember though, this was the really fun thing. So we would do like back to school shopping probably Throughout the summer, basically, Mm -hmm, we would do probably mm -hmm. three to four shopping excursions and we each got to spend a certain amount. And then we couldn't wear anything until school started. So school started. And the night before we would all do a fashion (sighs) show and all of our new clothes. That is the best feeling in the entire world. And I actually carry that into my adult life. I think it's so smart of mom and dad. To be like, okay, you're going to have to delay your gratification, as they'd say. And, like, it made it so exciting. It made going back to school feel, like, really fun. It made going back to school feel so fun every year. And I just remember, like, dying to dig into those clothes and start wearing them. Like, even now, before I start a new job or if I, like, move somewhere new, like, I will get a few new pieces of clothing and not allow myself to wear them until I'm in in that new spot. Because I just like that, like excitement. Totally. I'm a person who is more of a, I like a uniform more than variation, or at least I have during certain uh, eras of my life. And I remember when I first got into freshman year of high school, during my back to school shopping, I got the same crop pants from Express in probably four different shades. And then I got these silk blouses from Express in four different shades. And then I got- Very business casual. Yes. It's very business- it was. It really was. They were like tweedish pants, and then <laughs> I know it, it's so appalling looking back. And then I, yeah. And then do I say kitten heels? To, no. To kitten heels to round out the business casual look with your long strand of pearls down to your uh, <laughs> navel and my huge <laughs> blonde hair. And I just remember my one of my best friends to this day, Isabella. When we were, I would say midway through freshman year, maybe a little less than that, maybe we were getting to Christmas time, she came over to my house and she was literally like, give me the pants. Give me the pants. You wear them every day and no one can tell that they're different colors. Someone literally asked me, oh, Lauren Bledsoe, is that the girl who wears the same pants every day? (gasps) Oh my gosh. That's literally high school like social suicide. I I I just thought I was being efficient and I thought I looked smart and casual or it, it I thought totally it looked, doesn't exist in high school you should know that I mean it was just quite an era of my fashion and I just remember she confiscated the pants and she probably still has them to this day in a safe somewhere so that shout out so to Isabella funny. I know do you remember what my style was in high school? Like, I'm trying to compare the two. I feel like I, I certainly, I won best dressed in eighth grade. I didn't win in high school like you did. I, I, yeah, I definitely like started to get more into fashion. And then I, this was in the era of the sartorialist 
um, in my late high school. So I started to put together all sorts of crazy vintage cool outfits. And yes, I had fun in high school. I don't have the same joie de vivre with fashion as I used to. But I will say, Chandler, your style in high school, I feel like it was more like graphic tees, shorts, high tops, just more like street style cool. Yeah. In fact, I mean, that's nice of you to say now, but I do remember at one point you and Courtney like coming to me and saying like, no more graphic tees. You are not allowed to wear any more graphic tees. I think I still stand by that. (laughs) Like, I think I just bought like a Panic at the Disco graphic tee from Hot Topic and you guys were like, stop buying graphic tees. I mean, you shared the particular sickness with Courtney where you guys were very into like indie bands that no one had heard of, like the Postal Service, and you <laughs> really wanted to you really wanted to wear band merch all the time to show oh. how like cool you were. I had a Death Cab for Cutie zip up hoodie that like I wore the SHIT out of because it was like it was a way for me to flex about like my indie knowledge. Uh, did you ever fall prey to the to the fashion faux pas and that's generous of the banty with the cross-stitched or the knitted lyrics on it of course not I would never buy lyrics I would never buy I would just I did that was too obscure if I had lyrics and people might be like oh that's just a random phrase but like no, I no, needed no. the band names that people knew no, that no. I was cool there was the band name and then I'm pretty sure Courtney would then take a needle and thread and stitch in lyrics onto them. No, Do I remember this. I was not that adept, so I never did that. Okay. It, it was a special time. I was a lot more smartly dressed than you two, but look how the tables turned. I mean, I also, for the record, unfortunately, still fall prey to merch. Like, I buy so much merch. I have a Joe Biden sweatshirt that I've been waiting to get shipped like for so long. If, if it has like a cool graphic on it or like it's some way for me to flex on trying to be cool like I'm gonna buy it I'm gonna spend the money whatever we all bought the same Joe Biden pullover yeah. did Courtney get hers no nobody's got it's all it says awaiting fulfillment which is like the most annoying <laughs> like words awaiting in- fulfillment oh it's just oh the sweatshirt is sitting there it's just awaiting someone to pick it up and put it in a box see I don't I think they're out of stock and they don't want you to cancel the order Well, what's crazy is that they restocked mediums so like I they restocked but then like it's still awaiting this is so boring for people. Sorry. I was so fed up with my Joe Biden pullover never leaving the warehouse that I bought a hat. So <sighs> I'm hoping the hat actually leaves That's not and gets there before the election. I know. He's going to lose by the time we get our sweatshirt. That's the sad <laughs> irony of all this. It's so dark. But I, I really want to – I bought my hat to wear to the gym because I go to a pretty fancy gym in San Clemente, not to flex on anything. Oh, I here actually, we go. I, but it's the one that's closest to my house, and it's really nice. as like a steam room. And Is anyway, it open during COVID? Is the steam room open? The steam room's not, but it has like tennis lessons, and it's just really nice. And so anyway – I go to a pretty nice gym, so of course it's filled with hyper conservatives. Right. And so I want to wear my Joe Biden hat to the gym because you got a virtue signal a little bit on him. Well, I just want to. I want to make people not like me at the gym. I feel like that'll be a fun <gasps> experience. That's, for me. I like that. That's awesome. And then well, you should wear your mask like the whole time. Okay, but here's the thing. I do wear my mask the whole time because it's an indoor gym, and I actually am afraid of catching COVID in it. Yeah. The kid neck, a kid next to me was not wearing his mask the other day, or I'm sorry, when I first went back, I realized no one really wore their mask. They all really? had them down below their noses and it yeah. was a, a big and- joke. And I was a little more paranoid because my first time regularly going to an indoor environment with strangers. And so I was working out next to this probably 20 year old and I turned to him and I said, hey, is there any way you could wear your mask correctly? Pull it up over your nose. 
And he was like, oh, what did he say? Oh, he was so indignant. He was like, it's a 99% survival rate. That's what he said to me. He's like, I'll wear my mask how I want to. No way. Yes. And I don't have energy to fight with strangers. So I was such a Karen. I walked over to the desk and I looked at the 40-year-old man standing behind the desk and I said, is there any chance you could do a sweep and just ask people to wear their mask correctly? He looks oh, at good. me. Yeah. Well, he, lo- he looks at me like I've asked him to go to the guillotine. Uh-huh. Like he he is dreading this experience so much. But there's signs everywhere saying you have to wear your mask correctly. Right. So I feel fully in- like entitled to work out in a masked environment. Yeah. I've since given up, people. But anyway, this was when I was Did he, still at hope. I think that's actually like pretty good Karen behavior because you weren't like, hey, can you go tell that little idiot over there to wear his mask? Like you were just like, can you do a, Can you just tell everyone to wear their mask? Yeah. And I didn't want to fight with the kid. And so I just – and I, I wasn't going to do a back and forth. I wasn't going to engage with him. And so right. I just – so then I go back to work out and the kid freaks out at me. And he's like, why didn't you tell him about everyone else? And I was like, I didn't say anything about you. I just asked him to do a sweep. Good. And then and then the guy does his like reluctant sweep. He comes over to the kid and and he asks the kid to put his mask on correctly. And the kid, what is he? I don't he just sorry, it's been like too long since this happened, but he just like freaked out at the guy and was <gasps> I like freedom. I freedom. he's I don't yeah, basically exactly exactly that, right? Just being a punk. So he puts his mask on, the guy takes three steps and he shoves it down again. He pulls it down again. Wow. And looking straight at me, like it was the most aggressive. I know. It's a muzzle. He wasn't going to be muzzled by you nor anyone else. He was not going to have his liberties infringed upon. Mm-hmm. I think that actually at the end is when he said the 99% survival rate. He was like, it's a 99% survival rate and pushed it down. And I wish I had said, like, I live with my 85-year-old mother or 85-year-old oh, grandmother right. to, like, make him feel bad. I wish I had thought in the moment to lie creatively, but I didn't. And so anyway, that was the end of the story. And now I've just completely given up and I wear my mask correctly, but no one else does at the gym. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like impossible. I feel like in San Francisco, people are definitely better about it. But I don't know the gym that and I go to the gym like almost every day and it like literally almost every day. Sorry. I go to the gym three times a week, if at best. And it's still just like the most risky place, in my opinion. Even though I literally spray everything down before I use it, any equipment, any treadmill or anything, it just feels like the place I'm going to get it if I'm going to get it. Totally. Well, okay. So are people at your gym actually putting the mask over their noses? No. Like not no, everyone. Not. Like I, I do. And I would say yeah, I do too. 50% what percentage? Of people, 50% of, especially if you're younger, do put it over their nose. But then like there's one guy who's always like behind me on the elliptical and his is always beneath his nose. I cannot fathom these people. Like I, I just don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Just don't even wear it. I mean, it's people, they just don't want to be bothered by someone telling them to wear it, but they also don't want to like adhere to the rules. They also don't like value it at all. Right. Oh, so speaking of which, anyway, so, sorry. This is so boring. No, speaking of which. probably the worst anyone's ever listened to. <laughs> We're going to get like another. Is this funny? Yeah. Whatever. So basically mom and dad are here, right? Yeah. And dad, first night we're here, we like go to go like order um, burgers at this outdoor place. But, like, we have to stand, go walk to, like, the counter to order or, like, the outdoor table where the guy's um, working. And yeah. dad just is not, does not wear his mask. And I'm like, dad, you have to go put on your mask. And he's like, it's in the car. Like, didn't even bring it with him. Oh, my gosh. But the, he's been good about it. It's been Oh, fine. he has. Yeah, it's been all good. That's it's just good. funny. That's good. Yeah, I mean, 
our dad, given that our mom got COVID and he didn't even get catch it, living with her and not distancing and not caring, he's like even more emboldened in his views that COVID right. is a hoax. He's been, yeah. Our dad's been, my, our mom getting COVID has definitely radicalized our dad against yeah, COVID. Against. No, no, for COVID, basically. Right. <laughs> Just like. Against seriousness. Yeah. Spread COVID. Who cares? That's our dad's mentality. Whatever. Right. It's NBD. Okay. Should we get to what we actually were going to talk about today? Yeah. For this I, mean, I, I do want to give you a debrief of them being here. And like, oh, yeah. Like, what else? It's no, it's been so great. And we've, I, I have just not had a steak dinner in so long, Lauren. It's yeah. so nice. Like, I just, I forget what it's like to order a steak dinner. Going out to dinner with mom and dad, you literally order whatever you want. And it's just so nice. Like, it's a $28 entree or $34. does not matter. No doesn't one cares. Matter. 42 Right. Doesn't right. matter. Well, it's, I order the filet. Mom's like, "Are you getting the seven or the 10? And I'm like, "Ah, it's seven. And she's like, "Just get the 10. <laughs> like, this is not a. I never have that internal conversation uh, with myself. I'm like, "No, you're getting like the the grilled chicken and like maybe a side." Our parents order like with abandon. Like, yeah. three appetizers. They each get the tomahawk. It's just like. <laughs> It's so true. So I've been eating a lot of steak, which has uh, made me like very happy, very healthy. I feel like an American woman once again. I love it. So Um, red-blooded. So red-blooded. But my dad is very worried about me living in a liberal city like San Francisco. We're not going to get political, but it's just been funny the questions he's asked me. (laughs) And and he's trying to be tactful. Basically, I think that dad is assuming that because I'm living in San Francisco, I'm just fully going to become like this heathen woman who like never wants to like have a family or anything traditional. No. So he's been like, so what did he ask me about my roommates? It was so funny. He's like, the other day we're just like driving along in the car and dad's like, so do most of your roommates, like, do they, you know, do they, uh, do they want to like eventually get married and like have any sort of family? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. And so he's asked me that in two different ways, twice. And I've been like, yes, like w- everyone's dating, wants to like all have a career, but also have a family. I'll want those like normal things. And then they also think that San Francisco is like a barren city, like in regards to children. Like they think no kids live here because it's just full of Planned Parenthoods and liberals and Nancy Pelosi. So like we passed a family crossing the street with two little ones and mom's like oh look john there's some kids (laughs) (laughs) and then i kid you not 10 minutes later we passed a park and mom's like oh that's so funny that they have one of those (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) they think it's like handmaid's tale their only depictions of San Francisco are via Tucker Carlson on mm-hmm. Fox News, right. being like, "And back to San Francisco, where back the mayor the and the looting, <laughs> where the mayor won't let in the National Guard, and of course, <laughs> the streets are in an uproar." Yep. <laughs> uh, they so good bemoaned you moving there so much, thinking so much. that you were like about to have like a baptism by liberal fire, right? Right. So funny. So what else? Like what else has been going on? I mean, dad like drove me around like the Embarcadero, like just like down by the water. And he was like, this is a real swanky part of town. (laughs) (laughs) It's just basically like the pier. Oh, also I like, I I hate going to like the true touristy spots, like not to sound like an elitist, but I am one. Oh my gosh. Do you live there? Yeah, I do. I'm a local. No, but I don't want to go to Fisherman's Wharf. Totally. But, but we literally, it was like 11 a.m. yesterday, and we were at like the Hard Rock Cafe <laughs> in San Francisco, and I was, I complained so much. That is, wait, did you guys actually go out to Napa? 
Yeah, we went to Napa last night for dinner. We just walked by the Hard Rock and like cafe and like all the senior frogs and like the classic like touristy spots that every destination has. That's so funny. Did you did wait? Tell me about Napa though, because okay, I advised you guys you should still go to Napa even though mom and dad are not drinkers. Right. Well, we went to Napa and it's so funny because mom and dad. If we go to somewhere where they serve alcohol. Mom and dad are always like, oh, yeah, we don't drink. Like when someone's like, can I bring in the wine list or whatever what we've been having? <laughs> but mom started to do this thing where if I'm with them, she says, oh, yeah, we don't drink. And then she points to me and she goes, and she just got out of rehab. <laughs> You're kidding me. No. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like she only does it with me, too. She goes, and she just got out of rehab. Like with <laughs> It always catches servers like off guard as it would like anyone just offering up this personal information about like me. I look pretty clean cut. So it's unexpected. I don't look like fresh out of rehab material. And it was just so funny because usually like the waiters will be like, oh, okay. (laughs) Or, oh man. Or uh they just, they make some sort of noise. Like they don't really ever say anything. Yeah. Because you can't laugh at that because that's not a joke. No. And then the waiter last night, that was funny. He was like, oh, not again. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) That is so classic. (laughs) But it was funny. Did you guys go to a restaurant or a winery? We went to a, I mean, every restaurant is basically a winery, but we went to the steakhouse, of course. And I got the most gorgeous filet. Oh oh my gosh. So did you guys like drive around? Did mom and dad like the scenery? Did they care? I mean, at first mom was like, oh, this is, she was like, this isn't taking my breath away. (laughs) (laughs) Also while we're on the freeway too. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I was like, yeah, I don't know. And then we like (laughs) drove around for a little bit and like, yeah, there were some vineyards. Like I think if we had honestly gone more into the true like nature part of Napa, like the really like the rolling hills and all the vineyards, like we just didn't. We didn't go to a vineyard. And I think a vineyard would have yeah. been like the most beautiful way to do it. But we just went to like downtown Napa and got like a dinner. Oh, I mean, yeah. If you go, if you are going to Napa, you have to go somewhere with a great view. Right. That's your first thing to research. Is, like, and it was beautiful. And we saw like, we saw vineyards and it, it was go- like the restaurant was gorgeous. But, okay, like, cool. We didn't spend a ton of time, you know, frolicking in like through the yeah. vineyards. Okay. Um, but one other thing about dad, dad also has been like, he's clearly very like, disoriented with me like being a city girl like it's not normal so the other day he's like you know it's just so interesting that you're getting this time in your life to be in this city (laughs) and traditionally you would be like you know having a couple kids and he doesn't mean it in a misogynistic or like way in a sweet way it's i seriously feel like his brain is like forming new connections by seeing me as a working individual living a single life in this city a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, because that's something that mom and dad never did. And it's right. something that their friends never did. All their friends got married at 23 and mm-hmm. started having kids and moved to the suburbs. Like, Well, also, I'm their first daughter who's who's also moved around to a few different big cities. Totally. hundred percent. So this is just, I, I forget how new this is for them. Yeah. No, you were definitely, yeah, you were the one who like moved to LA at 23 or 24. Now you're in San Francisco. And it is cool and exciting. I've been really struck by how just dad is just so pure. Like his music taste, we're like driving along, obviously. And his music literally goes between like Christian hymns or like Christian pop, like a little bit of Christian-y show tunesy pop. And then it's straight up show tunes. And then it's some Garth Brooks. And then it's, you just do the same like shuffle over and over again. That is so it's sweet. It's really sweet. Or it's like literal scripture verses. I do miss 
I do miss the feeling of being religious and listening to something like that and feeling like moved by it and feeling like that moving feeling was like a source of connection mm-hmm. to the answers to the mysteries of the universe. That's something you really can't re- recreate as an atheist. And it's unfortunate, but right. here we are. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. Yeah, you truly cannot recreate it. I think I still feel like I still really like listening to some gospel hymns. Like, I don't yeah, know, they're so like, like beautiful, but they don't touch me in the same way. Totally. I, I think Abide With Me, Tis Eventide is like a gorgeous LDS hymn. Yeah. But it's just, it's not going to, it's not going to hit the same. Right. I also love Come That Found. The music, it's, you can appreciate it for it being pretty, but also, I think honestly, on the other side, it feels a little weird to listen to. Right, and right. it kind of also hits other emotions in you. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. it's just, yeah, it's yeah. an experience reserved for the religious, alas. Right. Now it's like, we just have to turn to like Enya to feel moved by music. <laughs> we have to turn to Enya and Lemon Water and being annoying <laughs> on my Instagram to be spiritual, apparently. Okay, can I tell you about my weekend? Yes. Really quick? Yes. Um, I went mountain biking for the first time. Ugh, what? Yes. I you hated Kagan mountain biking. I do hate Kagan mountain biking because I think it's way too dangerous. Right. And I loathe the fact that he does it. I know that he will come home a quadriplegic someday, and I think about it every day. Is this going to be like a me. new sport that you dive headfirst into that I'm going to have to like hear about a lot? Just listen up, baby. Okay. Buckle in. So, first of all, we the bike we the bike I'm about to use. Um, I'm we're borrowing it from my future sister in law, and she probably stands five four five five. Um, so I'm five nine, so it's definitely too short for me. This bike, it's right. too small. So we first start do a little circle around the parking lot before we actually go on the trail. And let me just say, I agreed to this mountain biking excursion because I just want to be a fun partner. Like I want to be an active partner. I think one of the things like growing up that I wish we did more was activities and like we're more active as a family and I would like to I mean ordering drinks poolside isn't an activity (laughs) I would like to be a family that does activities together like outside activities that are vigorous and get your heartbeat up I think that would be important to me and I think and honestly that's not my instinct my instinct is to luxuriate on my sectional and go to dinner those are like my favorite activities totally I think there wasn't a ton of energy put into like hobbies let's try out a new hobby as a family let's just try new things to put us in like group sports right but there was less just like hobbies there was like sports but we didn't really like those and then after we didn't after they realized none of us were good or liked sports we stopped there we just didn't have parents that were like oh when we go on this vacation we're gonna find a hike to go on as a family which i kind of appreciate because i also don't like spending the vacation like action like i don't like a vacation that's action-packed for sure. Well, Kagan grew up totally opposite of that. Yeah. Whereas his mom is still very active. Every Saturday and Sunday, it was like volleyball at the beach. Kids and t- kids played, t- well, they played tennis together. It was a very active family. And Kagan mm-hmm. carries that to this day. He climbs, now he mountain bikes. He's very active. I go to the gym to lift weights so I look hotter naked. That <laughs> is my philosophy. That's all I care about. And right. so the fact is, though, I do want to be an active partner. So. He asked me, like, do you want to go mountain biking? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I'm thinking this, I should get into this. This will be fun. I can control my speed. I can keep it safe. So anyway, we get there. I realize the bike is too short for me, but you know, it's not too bad. Like I can get through it. Yeah. And I don't, have you ever mountain bike, Jen? No, of course not. What do you think? Okay. It's not the same as riding a bike on, on just dry land. 
on even <laughs> on an even I probably haven't ridden a bike since when I was in the fourth grade first of all so I haven't ridden a bike in 20 years it's been a long time uh, since I've actually been comfortable with a bike and comfortable enough to like switch the gears with no issue with complete I fluidity I know that I'm supposed to switch gears but I don't really understand the fundamentals like behind why you switch gears like I know it's to make it easier to like yeah it either makes it easier or harder like right. so you want it to and be why harder would you ever want to make it harder downhill because right? so you have more control right the, the physics of, of biking are, are still hazy for me physics for us in general is not a strong suit mm-mm, mm-mm. and I think that was part of it so anyway and in mountain bikes they are like your butt is like the same level as your I don't even know how to describe it but your butt is like the same level as your handlebars so it's not like where the handlebars are above you and there's if you're going to fall over you're going to tip to one side right like you, if you fall, there's a high degree of chance you're going to actually flip over like Ugh. onto your back. Okay. Like your face could come in contact with the dirt. And this is not just a remote possibility. Literally three or four weeks ago, Kagan's twin sister, like to had a really bad mountain biking accident, just doing a casual mountain biking oh, ride. I hate this for you. And flipped on, went head first <gasps> into the dirt. Yes. Oh Scraped the front of her face. Anyway. <gasps> See, no. I know. Absolutely not. I uh, Trust me. We're completely on the same page. Um, so I – but I'm, I'm willing to try out this sport because I feel like I can control it and whatever. I can not get in a crash. I can just go su- take it super easy. Okay. Mountain biking is a totally different experience than riding a bike on the suburban streets of right. your Laguna Niguel neighborhood. Cul-de-sac. Yeah. It's completely different. The uneven terrain is – very uneven. Oh, I don't know what else to say. Um, riding on the dirt and going up and down these little like strips where you're like balancing on this little strip of land, <sighs> it's actually like fairly scary and very hard. I mean, the the fact that someone scraped their face, I hope to never be doing an activity where I could accidentally scrape my face. Well, you accidentally your head could come into contact with the earth before your hands. No, absolutely like, not. Never. And so honestly, the whole way I'm already thinking this is too dangerous. Right. Like, even if I got good at this, it's just not worth it to me. It's not yeah. worth – I know for a fact that if I did get good at it, I would go harder and I would put myself in danger. And that's just 0% worth it to me. So I yep. already have sworn it off my first five minutes in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyway, I need to complete this ride to be a fun partner. Right. And, and to not give up or whatever. Yeah. But Chandler, I am so bad at it. First like, of all. How are you bad at it? Like you just don't go fast? Like Kagan is telling me, okay, gears up, gears up, or gears down, gears down. And so <sighs> when he tells me gears up, I'm going to the highest number where really I should be going to the lowest number. So first of all, I'm making the bike like the Wait, least. Gears up, meaning take off like some gears, go to a low number. All I know is that when he was trying to say make it harder, I was making it easier. And when he was saying make it easier, I was making it harder. So first of all, my gear situation did not work. And I just had no actual practice working the gears of the bike. Second of all, I just can't explain to you enough. We went on an intermediate trail. This was the other problem. He just took me on a, actually like a fairly difficult trail. Like his friend, who's a guy who's his age, was like, that's actually like a pretty hard trail. That I hate that. Those are grounds to break off your engagement. A hundred percent agreed. So anyway, I will, all I will say is I fell three times. And one time I completely fell 
to the side, crashed <gasps> into the side of the hill. Okay. Luckily, ramble and bushes cushioned my fall, but the bike was on top of me. At one point, I fell because I was trying to... I, I started to go downhill and realized right. it was too steep. So I put my feet on the ground and I started to try to walk, but then the bike was too heavy. So the bike pulls me and I just fall on my butt and the bike flies in front of me, goes down the hill. This is when I scream, F this. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be with you. I don't want to date you. I don't want any part of this life with you. <laughs> I, I think that's, and that the sick part is that Kagan's never dated a normal woman who's actually not like extreme, like doesn't have just a good chipper, like attitude, like happy go lucky, or like, just and it's someone who's like adept, like basically they're like good at everything they try. Well, no, he's never dated someone who, I would say who's normal and will be annoyed at, about being like put on this intermediate trail. Right. Like instead, I'm like laughing off, falling on my butt and like scraping <laughs> all, my my legs all over and getting a bunch of bruises and like it this being kind of a nightmare of an experience. I'm yeah. like actually just trying to still be pleasant and like <laughs> oh, I don't know, I, I don't know about this. You. So, yeah, it was really bad. It was a terrible experience and I'm never mountain biking again. <laughs> the end he had brought two cold beers that were supposed to be like our triumphant like moment at the end where it was going to be like so fun as right a new thing we could do together and we just sat like on the sidewalk and silence and just dejected silence and i just said (laughs) i'm not kidding you and i said i think i'm gonna take up tennis i don't think not I don't think mountain biking is a sport for me. Lauren, I think that's a wonderful realization and honesty and like a truth that you need to just like embrace and live. I already took a tennis lesson. That's how committed I am to being an active, fun partner. I'm already on it, but mountain biking will not be my sport. And honestly, I think it should be outlawed. It seems way too dangerous. It's way too dangerous. Also, tennis is great because the court is so smooth. Like you won't scrape. Like you'll maybe get a little like heat burn, but like no scrape. No, you will not draw blood on a tennis court. There's zero percent chance I'm going to die. And right. That I mean, maybe if a, a flying tennis ball hits my forehead or something, I don't know. But it's completely remote. I feel completely safe. Mountain biking, there is like a good chance I could die oh, with yeah. my skill level. Right. I also learned that I literally have bad balance on this ride. Like I'm not good at balancing. Apparently. Uh, yes, it was a nightmare. So I, I have l- bruises to prove it. That's the hard part is that like trying out new sport hobbies like always just makes me feel like more dejected about like the lot I was given than like empowered or like I just don't feel like great about myself after I try something new and like difficult. It's because it takes six months of actually learning the skill for it to be fun. And you and I both just don't want to go through those six months. Who has six months? Who has six (laughs) months? Totally. I want to give something a solid three minutes and then feel like reasonably adept. Right. That's like actually why I liked pickleball when I tried it for the first time because I felt like I was pretty okay. And I was like, okay, I could actually see myself getting better at this. Like the learning curve is not like staggering. I feel like the only thing with pickleball is it's too many annoying rules. That's like, it's mentally, you have to really pay attention to the rules and that's not fun. The rules that, the rules don't bother me. Honestly, I'd rather have it be an old person sport with a lot of rules than like a young person sport and really hard. That's true. That's true. Well, um, and not to, I mean, digress any further, but I did do my tennis lesson and my tennis lesson was, I, I envisioned playing a casual game of tennis with my tennis right. lesson. My tennis lesson was literally just practicing my form for an hour, like hitting ball after ball, learning how to actually properly hit a tennis ball. Anyway, I think that's smart. That's like what you're supposed to learn. Yes, that is how you're supposed to learn, but it's just not fun to learn. That's what we're no. trying to tell people. Learning is sometimes not fun. I would learn how to play tennis with you. 
Would you? Mm-hmm. I just think it's like a good sport. It's a great. Like, it's a, you can do it when you're like older, mm-hmm. and there's always like a cute lunch after. Right. The know. outfits are cute. the The vibe is cute. You don't have exactly. to like get wet. Like you're not. It's not a water sport. You don't have to redo your hair all that much. Exactly. It checks a lot of boxes. The bar- and the yeah. It you can look cute, and the barrier to like to entry isn't crazy high. Right. Exactly. So I think I'm gonna try to become a tennis player. Okay. I do want to be like well fun and active so um also just like going to naturally. tennis events sounds like a life i want to live agreed like, you know agreed like oh and no tennis- we've got the tennis turn we're going to like a, a tennis tournament away tennis like, courtney white like- do that stuff and i feel like it's like very waspy and cute it's it's like a very rich person sport and while i'm not rich i would love to seem rich and so right. the, this is a good way to get into that this has always been the goal <laughs> this has always been the goal i would love to look rich and so right. Maybe by telling people I'm taking my I'm taking tennis lessons, they'll think I'm like loaded or something. Totally, I already feel like that. Yeah. Okay. But Lauren, before we cut to this next segment, I think we need to work on our new strategy. And our new strategy, because we are not uh, seen by media companies or Casper mattress, because nobody will give us um, something to advertise. The time of day. Yeah, or the time of day. I think we need to start advertising for them anyways, and then they're going to start to see like that we're real professionals. Exactly. So here's my thought process. I've I've emailed now three podcast networks mm-hmm. with our stats, and this is where we're at, and we're growing fast. Like, hell yeah. Know, get on the rocket before it hits the right. stars. It appears that no one's interested on getting on this rocket. No one Strange. has replied. <laughs> Apparently, no one cares. Maybe our stats are clearly not where they need to be to attract any sort of attention. So maybe this is the new last-ditch effort to get any sort of traction on the pod. This is quite possibly the most desperate fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, But yeah. Basically, like, what if we just, like, advertise for, like, Google or something? Like, wow, they got Google. They have Google ads? Like, Google is literally asking them to promote their service? (laughs) Chandler, nothing would seem more official than Google paying us to advertise. Right. Okay. How will this go? How this okay. Go? Hey, guys. So sorry, but let's break to to visit one of our sponsors. <laughs> oh yeah, Chan. break for a sponsor. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of these guys. They're really for the curious among us. Right. Like, are you wondering how many ounces are in a pound? Honestly, like any question you might have, like. This, these guys have the answer to it. Maybe you want to know who Meghan Markle's first husband was? It's kind of amazing, like, the amount and, like, the breadth of questions you can mm-hmm. ask. I didn't, I honestly didn't even know that I had these questions until I knew that the answers existed on this platform. Well, with no further ado, let us introduce you to Google. Google is a web search <laughs> platform where you what? can search anything on the web free of charge. Well, Google.com. So I've been using Bing, so I need to switch. Yeah, I know. I know it's a. I know it's tough to adopt a new platform, but I mean, really, there's just a low price, Shan. You just have to let this company monitor all of your web history, oh, and no big your deal. Gmails, and right. then sell that data to another big tech company that will send you targeted ads that will leave you completely bankrupt and in the gutters of poverty. I mean, if I get my questions answered, like that's a small price to pay. Exactly. And just for that small price, you can look up stuff for free. It's pretty nifty. <laughs> Wait, how do I get to it? So it's www.google.com. 
And I know how if you're out there and you're thinking, hey, it's tough. I love when I'm curious about something, I love to pick up my encyclopedia and feel the pages turn through my hand in nervous anticipation before right. I figure out the answer. I totally get it. But Google is a way to find out information when you're not at home in your library. When you don't have your encyclopedias. Exactly. Which I'm, exactly. I, I hate to say it, but I'm constantly without found to be without my encyclopedias. I don't like to leave my library just in case I get curious. <laughs> Before your tennis lessons. Exactly. <laughs> so for our futurist listeners, if you're ready to embrace the world of technology, we invite you to give Google a try to access literally all of human knowledge. That's G-O-O-G-L-E. <laughs> dot com. Dot com. And if you, when you search Google, if you enter our promo code, leave five-star review for Pop Apologists <laughs> and follow the prompts and leave a five-star review, that would be great. That would be you. so great. Thank you. Wow. It's just crazy that Google reached out to us to like Uh, advertise for them, but like they must, I mean, it's just, it's kind of amazing. Like what happens when you put in the work? Yeah. I I couldn't believe it, but that's to your point. Exactly. You just have to keep going and Mm -hmm. persevere with something and eventually it'll all work out. It totally will. The stars will align. You reap what you sow, baby. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so uh, before we enter our next segment, Ask the Apologists, thank you guys all for writing in for the topics and questions you want answered. I do want to tell you, Chandler, about this book I'm reading, Lady in Waiting. Okay, hot. Yes. It, first of all, it's by someone who's random, especially to an American. Like, I have no idea who Anne Glenn Connor is. Um, but she was, she's the daughter of an earl, okay. and she was a lady in waiting at Queen Elizabeth's coronation. So she was actually one of the women walking behind her, holding her train. Right, right. Okay, and she, okay. She just grew up. She grew up like super. She was like the royal family's family friend. Right, okay. right. And a lady in waiting is someone who basically is just one of the queen's like built-in friends. It's like a paid friend, right? Basically, although they're yeah. not like they're not paid to, like to be a lady in waiting. It sounds like a servant, but it's actually like a very esteemed position because. It, I mean, it, it basically, it's like, how cool would it be to be Kim Kardashian's in her inner circle of friends? Right. Totally. Just like a Larsa Pippen. It's paid. the coolest cool girls like in the land. Right. Yeah. But what's, it's so interesting because you go for the details about the royals, but you stay for how interesting her life was. Really? Yes. Yes. It's the most fascinating window into an, an entirely different life experience. So she's she basically grew up. She would be like, to put it in con- TV context, she would be Mary on Downton Abbey's daughter. Okay. Right, right, right. So okay. that's her generation, right? Yeah, she's yeah. born in the mid-30s. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But she's like born to one of these earls who lives in these like palaces in the UK. Wow. And she's has this full experience. And I think what's so interesting about it is just you just learn all like their culture as a family, how much they look down on people who actually worked. Interesting. On, yeah. Like people who if you had to work, it was very much something that was like not respected. Right. So you had to like she, sweat. Well, at one point, yeah, if you had to do any sort of trade, if you had to make money, that was not respected. Mm-hmm. So at one point, she brings home her fiancé, and her fiancé's family got their fortune in cotton, and her and they have a huge – wait, is it a cotton? No, it's bleach. Oh, interesting. His family got his fortune by inventing bleach. Okay. Oh, wow. And if I came home and my fiancé's uh, family invented bleach, I'm pretty sure it would just be a giant hallelujah. Right. Like, wow. Like, we're saved. We're good. 
where, where, when, where's the private jet we're all boarding? When's the, the five-star vacation starting? Anyway. We're like, no. marrying for love is overrated. <laughs> totally. We love the bleach guy. <laughs> um, no. Chandler, the family, like, rejects the fiancé because <gasps> his family is nouveau riche, and they're not, like, aristocratic. They weren't just, like, generationally wealthy. Right, right. Isn't that crazy? So crazy. It's like, rich is rich, people. Rich is rich. Her, her dad, like, ignores her and tries to hide from her in the house so that she can't announce her engagement to him. That so it's so funny. It's wow, so I cannot crazy. even imagine. And then, so she's, okay, this is the most interesting thing. She talks about how when you turn 18, you get, you come, like, you get your debutante coming out party, and then you have three years to get married. Basically three years. By the time, if you're 21 and unmarried, you're on the shelf. Like, it's very looked down upon. So that part is super fascinating because I think we experience a microcosm of that living in Provo where if to- you didn't get married by 22 or 23, it was like you were suddenly, like, a little bit like oh, getting up there, right? <laughs> oh, are you sure? So it's just so just the the culture is so fascinating. So anyway, she ends up um, marrying this guy, and the other like the subtle, just the way she casually talks about how horrible that society was to women is so interesting. Like she talks about how she has no concept of sex, and how like she or she knows what it is, but she has no concept of she doesn't like really being know about a pleasurable it. experience for a woman. She, she knows the no, I mean, she thinks like it's going to be this gorgeous, passionate experience when she finally has it, but she has no sort of, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, like realistic real, expectation? She has no like sophisticated understanding of sexuality and she doesn't yeah. really know what it's going to be like the first time. It's just like if someone told you a fairy tale about it, basically. Right, But right. then also told you it's your duty to not have it until you're married. Right, right, right. And she talks about how like basically they were told like, okay, these are certain men who if you're alone with them will try to have sex with you. These are men where it's your duty to not be alone with them. Like they always, it was always on the like, woman. Right. Right. To not put herself in a situation uh-huh. where a man with a bad reputation could get too carried away. That's to how get, they talk about it. Could get to her it. virtue. And, and if you were even rumored to have lost your virtue, it was like devastation. Right. That's why you couldn't even, that's why you had to have a chaperone by you. Like some, an adult watching you while you were on dates and stuff like that. You couldn't even be alone with opposite sex because even a rumor would, could ruin like your family. So it was this super serious thing. But then she casually talks about how her fiance was known to be like a cad and it didn't matter because he's a guy, he is allowed to do whatever he wants. But if you're a girl, your virtue is super important so it's really interesting and yeah it's the gross double standard totally and but she just talks about it so casually and she talks about how she goes on her honeymoon and first of all her husband who she barely knows he he they you know they have their first night and it's super awkward and terrible and the next night he takes her I'm going to try to say this on the pod in the most cloaked terms. Okay. He takes her. They're in Paris. He takes her. And just imagine, you have no sexual sophistication. You've never seen it. Even in a book, you've never, like, you have no clue. Okay? You right. just Your mom told you the mechanics of it. And then you read, like, Charlotte Bronte and Jane Austen. Okay? So you really have no, you no idea. So, of course, when it actually happens, it's going to be this awkward, fumbly experience. Right. And it's going to disappoint your partner, likely, who probably thought it was going to be much more wild or whatever, yeah. like exciting, because yeah. you don't know right. what to do. So anyway, the next night, her husband says, I have a surprise for you. He takes her in Paris. She thinks she's going to go to the Ritz for dinner, like some fancy place. But then she suddenly realizes they get 
further and further to the outskirts of Paris. He takes her to a basically a brothel mm-hmm. where they go into a room and she is shown what it's supposed to be like. Right, right, by right. two people in front of her. Yeah. Yeah. And she says she's so incredibly like Ugh. mortified. And she's such like, imagine you're just this like pure girl who really has no concept and suddenly two live people are doing this in front of you. At one point, they like invite her to join in or whatever. And she says she goes, Thank you. That's very nice of you to offer, but I will decline. <laughs> like <laughs> just like the most Anyway, just like her husband was like this, he took her to a cockfight. Like he was this like, he like on her honeymoon, she was like, she was put in like a a baptism of fire into like this horrible world that you and I have not even experienced. Not that we're like these like crazy chicks, but anyway, it was just so interesting to hear about these like heathenous regions of Paris in the fifties or the forties when she got married. And I don't know, it's just a whole it's a whole window into another world and like I'm like totally talking so much but there's just one other thing like she talks about growing up and even though she's the daughter of an earl when world war ii happens she like they have all this rationing and so she talks about the one time she got a pastry randomly from like she was at some event and anyway she just talks about how like the tasting the sugar and the butter and like all of that was just so exciting because they'd been eating like rationed basically beans for like for years and so like I was just thinking about how our generation has no concept of not having complete access to really whatever we want right to all the indulgent foods we want yeah and like the indulgent experiences like we've actually never had to go through years and years of like darkness and lack of hope Mm -hmm. and like the chance that your country could be conquered right and there's so the, the the human experience of our generation is just so incredibly wonderful essentially yeah that it's just a fascinating look into what life used to be like even for the wealthiest right right yeah so anyway it's a i can't recommend this book enough A, a wonderful listener i think her name is maura she recommended it and it is it's so it's so good you guys you have to get it okay i actually ordered it on amazon when i first saw you like post about it in the outline. Oh, you or did? On your, or, or, no, on the Instagram. Yeah. You're going to love it. You're yeah, going to love I'm it. I'm so excited. Anyway. So that's okay. my plug. Amazing. Love it. Look, keep us updated with your royal adventures as they yes, continue. I will. I'm trying to think if she has any. And I think we should also stuff. give the listeners a heads up that we're going to be probably recapping the crown episodes as they come on. It's time Everyone to catch up. Catch up. November yes. 17th. Okay, Chan, should we get to ask the apologists? Let's get to it. Oh, do we I'm want to so quickly talk about David Foster and Catherine McPhee getting pregnant? Oh, yeah. People asked us let's about just, this. Let's do some breaking news. Okay. Well, I think after seeing David Foster's documentary, I think he's, like, despicable, essentially. So the fact Agreed. that he's having a kid at 70 um, when he has, like, so many children and he literally had said in the documentary that he doesn't have time for his firstborn because he just, like, doesn't have time. I think it's highly irresponsible that he's having another kid. I also just think it's, I mean, I hope they used a donor because, or I hope they froze his stuff a long time ago because it's actually like a fact that the older that, mm-hmm. the older the sperm is, like the more chances of a lot of issues are. A hundred percent. Yeah, that too. And, and no matter what, he's going to like die by the time the kid's 20. I, or, or really by 30, 30. for sure be dead. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like. Okay, I don't. It's I just think it's like a it's a dark thing, 
I don't th- – I think it's a weird dark thing. Yeah, I think um, so too. And it's like yeah. now like Aaron Foster was like, oh, our kids will be the same age. Like it's just – It's sad. It's sad and weird. And I feel like the only way you can move through it is to you do it with humor, which they do with like grace and poise. But like the whole thing is gross and dark and sad to me. And I'm going to have a gross, dark twist on this. But yeah. I know when they when Catherine first started dating David, or they were publicizing that he was and open about it on the Foster Kit Girl Instagrams, they were making all these jokes like, oh, the only reason we don't like her is because she's so hot, all this stuff. But then I had this revelation. And I realized that those... I mean, honestly, the reason they should hate Catherine McPhee is because she's probably put another 40 or 50 years in front of them getting the foster fortune. Oh, a thousand percent. Isn't that so interesting? Um, unless it's been structured in some way where it doesn't all go to Catherine. I wouldn't be surprised if there was something that they get their money. Their money is separate from Kath- whatever Catherine's going to get. Yeah, totally. I'm sure there was some sort of prenup. But you know what? You're right. There, It has to be structured in that way or else the kids would hate her. Right. She would like, I that just would not fly. Because suddenly, I mean, getting an inheritance from your parents is something that when our mom got her inheritance, she's, I remember when she, what she spent it on, it was like a really cool thing. Mm -hmm. And obviously you don't even want to think about the dark reality of your parents passing away at some point in your life. You never want to think about that. But like, they also want you to get what they worked hard for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the idea that someone would come on the scene and like, like literally you're going to die around the same time that person is like, you're just not going to get that. Right. That would actually be pretty frustrating. And this kid is just like another piece of the pie. Like just cut the pie in another way. I already hate this kid. I'm sorry. It's dark, but I do. I just, I, I, yeah, I was talking with another listener about it, and she said basically, like, there's no not a chance that he that they didn't use a sperm donor. I like, hope so. In those circles too, where I'm sure this is like a semi common thing, I'm sure they know that it's like not good. But it's like using a sperm donor, and like, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with using a sperm donor, but it's like it's it's weird when like I wonder if the kid will like it won't look like him. You know. Maybe it's his frozen from a long time ago. But do you think David Foster had the wherewithal to be like, I'm going to have a kid when I'm 70? Like, No, I don't. It I just really seems don't. extremely selfish in my opinion. Have and a kid. I also think it's weird on her end. Yes. Like, I like it's selfish of him because he basically has said that he's a bad father. Right. He just openly admits it. And it's his kids all don't care because they have like access to the foster fortune. Right. Whatever. Like no judgment there to them. They're the one with a screwed up dad like you should just get get what you can mm-hmm. and then you know, take the good with the bad but i think it's weird that Catherine decided to have a kid with him and to say i, I want think- you to have a kid whose father is like ge- fully geriatric also i think this is just her way of locking herself into like the family legacy yeah i but that's incredibly selfish uh, for the kid right it's the whole thing's super selfish like by the time he's five David Foster will be 75 turning 76. The whole thing feels very Hugh Hefner to me. Exactly. I hate it. There's just something really gross and sad Really about gross it. about it. And then, so I don't know if you, so they got dinner with Megan and Harry. Right. I cannot imagine sitting at dinner with my 70-year-old husband, okay, Five years from now, I'm 30 years old, Mm -hmm. sitting at dinner, five years from now, with a 70-year-old husband, looking across the table, seeing my friend who I went to school with at 18 or whatever, they went to like drama school, and she's married to a 35-year-old who is the Prince of England and hot as hell. That's got to be kind of hard to watch. Yep. Yeah. 
Because even if – I'm sure Catherine so, really does love him. But, like, you don't get to experience those years of no. being, like, a youthful, vigorous couple together. Right. No. You're not going to, like, get to live a long life together. That's the really sad thing. Exactly. Exactly. You're not going to get to live a long life together. And I, I think that there's – the reason why, like, generally – I don't know, like – I think it honestly, it would be hard for me at this age to look at my partner and see like a jowly, wrinkly person. Yeah. I yeah. hate to like talk in those kind of crude terms, but that it just would be. Like there's a I reason. Mean, especially when there's just, it's not like you've grown old together. Exactly. There's a reason why you grow old together. Right. And, and I mean, obviously the people you're attracted to changes throughout your life. And just like in the same way that I would not be attracted to a 20 year old guy, but I was at 18. Yeah. Like I'm sure that I'll be attracted to older guys when I'm older, but there's just, would be, it'd be very difficult for me. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. Should we move into the Ask the Apologist? Oh, I just want to say one last thing on this, put a pin on it, but um, apparently, so there's all this talk that David is Harry's new surrogate father. (laughs) Um. Because, I don't know, like, apparently, like, he's really relied on David in the past during Megxit and all this stuff. You need someone in Malibu who understands you. (laughs) Exactly. Who will visit you in Montecito for the weekend and affirm your life choices. Right. And I just want to say, I'm glad that David can be Harry's surrogate father while he's not being a father to his real children. Exactly. I'm glad that he has time to be a surrogate father to, like, the... Yeah, well, a prince of, in England who, like, probably has all the things he could ever need or want. But, right. yeah, it's super great. It's really great that he finds the time. To, to, well, he, like, literally has biological children on the documentary. He's like, yeah, you know. I just don't have time for her. And they're pretty old by now. Like, it makes they're, me they're sad. It. But I just don't really have time for her. Ugh, it, it reminds me of that object lesson where it's like you put all the big things in first and then you put the little things in. You know what I'm saying? And then you pour the sand in. Do you know what I'm talking about? About priorities? Yes, totally. And it's I just think about David Foster just like putting in like all of the small things and like his big things are his children that just, yep, there's just no more room. Sorry, <laughs> y'all. They, they, Sorry, they can't fit in the jar. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I hate to say it, but Josh Groban came first. <laughs> exactly. Michael Buble's latest record and Prince Harry came first. Michael Buble had to have his holiday album. I'm really sorry. I didn't have time for you. I forgot to invite you to Christmas. We just had to record with, what's that? What's the opera singer? Charlotte. Charlotte Church. Anyway. Okay. So our first pop ask the apologist is the one I texted to you, Chandler, that I wanted to get dig into. Yeah. So it says, crazy mother-in-law, how do we handle holidays? So as two unmarried women, I think we're fully equipped to handle this right. question. Right. Right. Definitely equipped. Could not ask a better person. So I think what you're going to do is if your mother-in-law is crazy, what I'd recommend doing is trying to ruin the family business, moving to another country. Ideally, if they're like in Europe, move to Montecito. Move like across the country to a beautiful other coastal city. Exactly. But still try to capitalize on that family's name Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in order to live a very grandiose, wealthy lifestyle. Right. And that's really how you're going to stick it to the mother-in-law. Yep. Am I right, people? I think that's what you do. And then you get a book written about you called Finding Freedom or something like that. And then I will come on this podcast and defend you every every week. And I'll also be your defense attorney to people (laughs) who text me angrily in the mornings. Okay. But wait, Uh, should we answer this in all seriousness, though? Honestly, I just don't feel qualified to answer this because I, I mean, I have, I guess I sort of am. I mean, Kagan aren't technically married, but his mom is 
you know, like we spend holidays together. We're we're married for all intents and purposes. Right. Right. So she's very she very so but the problem is is Kagan's ma- mom is wonderful. I know. So I don't have any if anything, I have the perfect mother in law. She's like very cool and casual and is not imposing or overbearing. She's just awesome. And so I don't have any issues. So we we're gonna have to imagine. Yeah, I think honestly, we're lucky we don't have like super crazy family members. But I think like when we all have our own flare ups of craziness, like just don't engage. Go to another room, maybe do some deep breathing exercises, watch a show, just disengage when appropriate. Yeah, I think that there, I need more context to the, this question. Are we talking about getting through an evening? Or are we talking about getting through the entire holiday season living in their house? Probably. I mean, let's just assume that they're going to be staying with them. The staying with them. Okay. I think uh, just, just find a routine where you can take breaks by yourself or just take breaks away from said crazy person. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, Have some sort of structure where right. they they take the kids to go do something on their own or I mean, take honestly, a volume in the mornings. Right. Routine, baby. <laughs> Routine will really like, help you. Maybe you need an edible every single day. Maybe that's just okay. <laughs> and a Xanax to fall asleep. It's totally I mean, fine. Sometimes it's nice to just drive to an empty parking lot and watch Netflix on your phone. That's fine. <laughs> A hundred percent. Just go sit in your car, turn the heat all the way up in Mm -hmm. an empty parking garage and stare into the abyss. And just feel something. Just to try to feel something again. We're with you, sister. (laughs) Good luck. Good luck. Okay. So next question we were asked, how to be a better friend and just in general goal setting. These are subjects I do not feel like I've mastered. But I guess, Lauren, why don't you speak to them first and then I can like chime in with how I feel. Goals. And to, okay, let's talk being, about a, being a better friend. You know what? Okay, so be, for being a better friend, this is, first of all, we're just going to say, disclaimer, we have no real position giving people advice. No, zero. But we do, but we're just going to go ahead and we'll see how the segment goes. No promises. Yeah. <laughs> this is a no guarantee segment. This, the ass apologist could go up in flames, but we'll see. <laughs> Exactly. We will not be held liable for your activation of our suggestions. Okay. Being a better friend. I think that this is something I struggle with this, I would say, in so much that I can just go into my own world and not think about other people for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's my that's probably my falling as a friend, downfall as a friend, is I'm not going to reach out and ask you how you're doing randomly. And so I would say that one of the things that – one of the things my – Shout out to my old boss, Taylor, real, really friend. One of the things that he introduced me to was like handwritten notes. So when I started working for him, he, I noticed that he would not notice. I mean, that was like a big part of his life was he would write a lot of handwritten notes. Thank you notes to people. Just like at the holidays, he actually wrote me a note and he wrote a lot of handwritten notes. And it's like something that really creates like a true sense of like friendship. And I don't know, it's something that really generates a lot of... I think when you're writing a note, you have to be very present in what you're saying. And articulate. And and are present and articulate. And I think that generates like a a true sincerity out of whatever you're going to say. Yeah. It's a true expression of love for another human being, whether they're your coworker or your mom or whoever they're in your life. And so... I feel like that's something that I've tried to do is that especially like 
I will try to write a note to someone and say, even if it's their birthday, rather than just getting them a gift. And I know this may be like so basic, but actually like thinking about what I'm going to say and not writing generic things and telling them what I think is great about them and putting effort into the notes I write to people and writing notes. I think that really will build a bond between you and another person. And it's a great opportunity to really share how you feel. Totally. So I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great little note, if you will. Little nugget. I honestly, the past like three or four years, I've become very bad at texting. Like I don't respond very well. And I obviously if something's wrong, like I respond, but like I'm really bad at looking at a text and then forgetting about it. Mm -hmm. And it has literally nothing to do with whoever I'm talking to. And it, it brings me like a lot of guilt because I will forget to respond to people who I deeply care about. So what I've tried to do and to the point where even like Lauren and Courtney will like make fun of me for it. Like I FaceTime or call my friends all the time. Yeah. I, it's like a choice for me. Like, do I play a song right now? Do I like listen to some music or do I just call a friend while I'm doing whatever I'm doing while I'm walking or driving? And I think like setting aside like dedicated time to just ask your friends about their own lives and like being truly interested in what they're saying. I have a problem with bringing every subject back to myself and it's like actively trying to like, learn learn about how like their life is going and I don't know just being present in whatever conversation you're having and I think the best way to do that is through like calling or FaceTiming regularly and it's just like fun like it just it recharges me to talk to a friend yeah I definitely it's it's something that's very of your generation to FaceTime all the time but it's it does create a much more heightened sense of intimacy with the other right. person I mean even calling I would just say calling changes the dynamic versus texting calling is so much better than texting totally like actually just pick up the phone and call your friend right communicate more whether it's through a written note or calling or facetiming yeah totally yeah i think honestly text less call facetime write more yeah that lame that makes me sound like i'm like anti i'm not anti-texting i think texting is great but i think texting is like the lowest form of talking to a friend 100 percent. use marco polo i like marco polo so many friends like that I love so much. And it makes it easier to like have that face-to-face interaction, but on your own time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Goal setting. Honestly, your girl basically sets new goals about every Monday morning and then they all go out the window by about Wednesday night. So by about Wednesday after or Monday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, I'm like, Oh, about those goals. (laughs) Yeah. I'm honestly not a huge I have goals in my mind I don't like write them down though or like set up milestones and like really track toward them actually I do actually have a tip about this that's totally stupid but I swear it works I honestly believe that like in manifesting like not in like a really a super like crystal like moon juice spiritual way but just like this like truly believing that like the things that you want to happen in your life are going to happen And whether that's like writing them down and being like, okay, in five years, I want to have these things. Like this is going to happen for me. And saying it out loud makes it seem like a reality and eventually makes it into a reality. I know this is going to sound stupid and maybe I'm sounding like really dumb and like I'm way cooler than I am. But like I always said, like I'm going to move to like I want to move to a few different big cities. And like I'm like, oh, I actually like made that happen for myself. Like those things have come to pass. I was like, I'm going to like be a copywriter and I'm going to, you know, do X, Y and Z. Right. Anyways, I feel like I'm, I spoke those. This is so dumb. Honestly, please cut this out. Or if you're listening, please never listen to this podcast again. (laughs) But like I spoke those into existence. (laughs) I mean, here, the the thing is you have to be oriented towards something in your life. Right. Right. So it's not, you didn't speak them into existence, but you can't do something you haven't thought of. Right. And I think just constantly like 
saying it out loud, like, oh, I'm, these are, this is what I'm working towards. I'm yeah. not just like, I'm hoping that this will happen. Like, obviously you are hoping, but like, oh no, this is what I'm going to make happen for myself in the next five years. Um, and I think I always think about this. I listened to a podcast with Skinny Confidential and she just had this, um, this quote that like, it's very stupid, but it's just like, consistency is a secret sauce. Like there's no other, um, trick or like secret it's just like literally consistency so like if you're going to the gym like go to the, if you can just go to the gym for you know three to four days a week or every single day but you just show up like consistently like that's everything it's yeah. just like sticking to it I think you're 100% right and and it dives into our next one someone asked about which is portion control mm-hmm. and someone asked about like quick tip to lose 10 pounds or whatever and I just for me, I think it's exactly what you're saying. I'm trying to fit back into my jeans, my pre-quarantine jeans. Yeah, it's still yeah. a struggle. Yeah. And literally, my trainer right now, Alexa, she said she says something like so powerful to me. She says the good days stack up. So if you have a if you have a really indulgent weekend, don't let it mentally derail you right. or let you spiral. Realize that all the great days of working out and eating well and tracking what you're doing, those will all add up towards improvement and towards progression and habit building and all of that stuff like they don't just disappear when you have a bad day exactly all that work and so I think a lot of times you can I have in the past let a bad weekend become a bad week or then month of just not really getting on top of things and really trying and so I think one of the things that I'm really trying to do now is allow flexibility but get back into my regimen and be consistent on the days that I can and, right. and just think, okay, I want to lock another day in. I want to get another day of doing what I know will drive me toward my goals in the bank. And at one point, at some point, my bank account of good days will show up like physically. At least that's that's the theory. And so. I feel like, I mean, if we're just going to go straight into like diet talk, like, which I'm, I'm like totally here for, I think I often feel like you know, don't let, if you're like eating poorly, are you like indulged? Don't let that like then carry over into like, okay, I'm not going to work out at all. Like screw it all. Like, it's like, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be like, yeah, I'm going to indulge. I'm also going to go to the gym. Like either way, like so that you just don't feel like you throw everything out the window. I once heard the best tip on this. And this was this girl, she, I follow her on YouTube. Her name is Stephanie Buttermore. And she was like, when people overindulge and then don't work out, they're wasting those calories because those calories are such good fuel to build muscle. Mm-hmm. Like those calories are waiting right. to be like put made into muscle. Yeah. And by just not working out and not actually using them, they just they you lo- lose an opportunity. So you should think of every overindulgence as like as a great opportunity to work out and build muscle, right. move your body toward a composition and, and you it, want. It doesn't have to be like a punishing exercise. It's just, no, I'm going to use this like as extra fuel to like do what I already do. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. totally. I love that. I think that's like nice because it's totally based in like logic. It's not just like a mamsy pamsy like platitude. No, it's it's literally science. Right. Like you have to nourish your body in order to build muscle. Yeah. End of story. So yeah. Amazing. Um, I may. Oh my gosh. Uh, First segment that's like basically full of like advice from total novices on everything. <laughs> from I'm like, okay, this is how you're gonna train to have the body you want. And I'm, meanwhile, I'm on like week four for the hundredth time, being at week four because I never get to week twelve or whatever. I literally had a large steak last night with a massive amount of hash browns for dinner. So good. So you know, just like, t- you know, take it all in. It's real. It's here. It's who we are. 
yeah, but realize that huge disclaimer. This is uh, what we should call this like not expert advice, but novice advice. Or right. Whatever. Yeah. Figure we'll, out a term for it. Totally. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's it. I think, yeah, we got a lot there, sis. Love you so much. Love you. When do mom and dad come home? Tonight. They leave tonight. Oh, tonight. tonight. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, have so much fun with them today. Thank you. And I will talk to you probably later today. Okay. Talk to you later. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. That's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at Apologists, and we will see you next week, live every Wednesday. Do you ever worry about running out of interesting things to say to friends when you actually get to see them? Then we've got the perfect podcast for you. I'm Eve Yohalem, and each week on Book Dreams, my co-host Julie Sternberg and I use books to explore fascinating questions, like what happened when a Harvard professor staked her reputation on an alleged gospel of Jesus' wife that turned out to be fake? And how did debut author Tom Lynn save the American Western by blowing it to bits? Are pigeons rats with wings or wonder birds? And what's the who, what, when, where, how, and especially why of books found in human skin? Recent and upcoming Book Dreams highlights include conversations with Booker Prize-winning author Marlon James, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Katherine Schultz, and Merlin scholar Dr. Laura Campbell. You can listen to Book Dreams wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists, owners of the therapy group, and hosts of the Shrink Chicks podcast. Every week, we bring you a new episode where we dive into therapeutic topics like inner child work, dating anxiety, family dynamics, relationships, and burnout, making them more relatable and understandable, leaving the psycho babble behind. We address the things you've been dying to ask your therapist but don't know how and work to help you stop shooting all over yourself with the expectations society can put on us. Tune in every Monday to Shrink Chicks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow along and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Prepare to learn all about you, because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. 